Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, my gardening friends, and welcome back to the Just Grow Something podcast. Last week, we talked all about what goes into creating and managing your compost pile. And then we talked with Stan Slaughter, who gave us even more information and talked a little bit about how beginners can get started composting. So now that we know what the essential components are for an effective compost pile, let's talk about the different types of compost systems that are out there. Whether you opt for a pile in the corner of your yard, which is still a totally viable option, or a fancy tumbler, or maybe a vermicomposting system, or something somewhere in between, there are a lot of options. We'll talk all about the pros and cons of each one, the differences in costs and setup, and their level of effectiveness, so you can find a system that works with your lifestyle and your gardening style. So, let's dig in to the different backyard systems for creating our own compost. Hey, I'm Karen. I started gardening years ago in a small corner of my suburban backyard, then moved to a five-acre lot outside city limits and expanded that garden to half an acre. What started as a way to provide for my family turned into a love for digging in the dirt and providing for others. Slowly, my husband and I built our small homestead into a 40-acre market farm through lots of trial and error and successes and failures. Eventually, I went back to school to get my degree in horticulture, and along the way, I discovered there is power in food. So I want to share everything I've learned with as many people as possible. This podcast is all about helping you become a better gardener and a better eater. Whether you're a seasoned gardener or have never grown a thing in your life, I want to give you the knowledge you need to get the biggest and best harvest you can. So settle in, grab that garden journal, and get ready to just grow something. So really quick, I want to welcome my newest listeners in Portugal and Norway. Portugal, from what I can tell, you are all in hardiness zones 7B through 12A, and Norway, you're all the way down from 2A on up to 8A, so you guys all cover a super wide range of growing conditions between your two countries. I am happy you're here, and I hope that you gain a lot of good gardening information. So this episode comes with some good timing. My mom is actually currently looking for a compost bin or a compost solution. Um, We did have a compost pile in our backyard garden when we were in Colorado when I was growing up, Um, but she hasn't really had much of a place for one since. And she mentioned to me the other day that, oh, I would really like to have a compost pile again. And I mentioned, hey, by the way, <laughs> I'm actually doing um, some episodes right now on compost. So I told her that I would review the options and I would help her try to find something. So this episode is perfectly timed. So let's briefly recap what the components of a compost pile are. 
If you remember from last week, all composting requires four basic ingredients, carbon, nitrogen, water, and oxygen. Carbon is those browns that we talked about. That was episode 80. I will link to that in the show notes. And a nitrogen is the greens. So remember, your pile should be about half and half, 50% browns to 50% greens. And then overall, the pile should be about 50% moisture with lots of oxygen moving throughout it. Now, in my interview with Stan Slaughter in last Friday's bonus episode, we learned of some other important rules. He talked about moisture, materials, mass, turning, and time. So those rules, in addition to the four components, those ingredients that we need, should give us an idea of what is going to be the best system to create compost, utilizing all of those rules and all of those components. So how do we pick a system that ensures that we get the most out of all of these components, but that also fits into where it is that we are composting? Because you know, let's face facts. Yeah, I live on 40 acres. I can compost pretty much wherever the heck I want to. But when I was living in a suburban area where I was living in one half of a duplex, and even though I had a fairly decent sized backyard for that situation, it was still a backyard in a suburban area. Um, You may not be gardening in an actual backyard or in a large space. You may be gardening in a community garden or even on your patio. You know, you you may need something to do, though, with your food and your, your yard waste, even if you have no garden to put the compost into. You know, and then what about if there are no composting services in your area? What if you have a homeowner's association? You know, if you have rules or neighbors that you have to worry about. There are different types of systems from super basic to, you know, very elaborate, some that are passive, some that are very active, cheap to super expensive, and some of them may or may not be as effective as you need them to be. So what you choose may be based solely on how much material that you're composting um, or how much compost you need or how quickly you need it or the situation that you find yourself composting in. Like I said, if you have a homeowner's association or if you're composting in a shared space or you simply just don't want to stare at a pile of stuff <laughs> in your backyard and you want something that looks a little bit nicer. So let's start ticking off and going through all of our different options when it comes to a compost pile. The, the first option is just the heap, right? It's, it's what I started with. There is no structure to it. There is no containment. It's just a pile in a corner somewhere, and it's totally free. Um, you know, the pros to that is it's totally free. It's super easy to start. You just start tossing stuff into a pile. It is very passive. There is no effort involved. You're, you're not paying it any attention. But the cons to that is it is very slow to break down. Uh, You can absolutely attract bugs and vermin. It may stink, and it can absolutely be very unsightly. It is probably not the best option if you want to get workable, usable compost in any amount of time. <laughs> um, and if you if you want anything that's, that's going to be uh, even remotely attractive. Again, if you have a lot of acreage, you have a lot of 
area to work with and you can throw it in a corner where nobody's going to be around and you're not worried about whether or not the raccoons are getting into it and digging it, fine. You know, this is a very, very easy and cheap option and one that does not require any attention from you whatsoever. So the next step up from that is the managed pile. This is what Stan has. This is, you know, what he talked about um, that he keeps in his backyard. It has some structure. It has some containment. Um, he mentioned that he, you know, puts a pallet down on the ground and he uses galvanized garden fencing that comes in a 50-foot roll. Um, and uses that to create sort of a, a bin. This galvanized garden fencing that he talked about um, ranges anywhere from about 28 inches high to about three feet high. It needs to be sturdy, so you have to be sure that you pick the gauge that feels heavy enough to contain your mass. You know, you may not be composting large volumes of things, so you may not need the heaviest gauge that's out there of this garden this garden fencing. But if you if you are composting a large amount of materials, you're going to want the the sturdier stuff. It does come in different grades. Um, you may be able to find shorter lengths instead of that 50-foot roll, but like Stan mentioned, the leftovers from that roll are really good for using in the garden for pea trellises or tomato trellises um, or whatever, so don't be afraid to, uh, to grab the 50-foot roll. The pros to this sort of managed pile is, again, it's really easy to start with. It's passive. It really only involves slightly more effort than the just heap that I talked about. Um, it's a little bit less likely to attract the vermin and the insects when it's managed properly. You're containing things a little bit more than just shoving them in a corner. Management of this does include layering your greens and your browns properly, which, you know, Stan talked about, hey, collect those browns throughout, you know, the, the, the season when you can and set them aside. And then as you're tossing your greens in, go ahead and toss a layer of browns and then add your greens and then add your browns. So a little bit more management, but nothing that's over the top. Adding man uh, moisture when necessary is, is a part of this and then turning it once, maybe twice per year. Uh, the cons to this it can still be fairly slow to break down, likely at least a year. Um, Stan talked about um, fall to fall as a, a system for using this compost, which for most home gardeners is not that big of a deal. You know, if you're adding compost to your garden in the fall at the end of the season to act as a mulch to keep the soil from being bare and allowing that compost to continue to further work into the soil so that you're ready to plant in the spring, um, then that's perfect. You know, then you go ahead and dump all of that compost out in the fall, you add it to your beds, you start your compost pile over again at the same time, you mix it once, maybe twice, um, and then you use it again the following fall. Another con to this, though, is that it can still be considered unsightly if you've got an HOA or you have neighbors that are particularly interested in what you're doing. And the pricing on the garden fencing can be a little bit more than what Stan quoted. You know, prices always go up and they fluctuate. For something that's that's sturdy enough for this, I'm seeing prices around $40 or so for a 50-foot roll. Still not expensive by any stretch of the imagination. And again, you can use those leftovers for other aspects in the garden. But, um, you know, it's a little bit higher than the, than the $20 or $25 that Stan talked about. So that's the managed pile. Again, it's just a little bit more structured than the heap, but allows you to manage it a little bit more closely, and it tends to be a little bit more effective. 
So the next option is uh, the dig and drop or trench composting. And it, it really is just kind of what it sounds like. All you need to do is dig a hole in your garden, add your composting materials to it, and then cover it back up. Or dig a trench alongside where your plants are going. It's roughly about a foot deep. And then fill it with about six inches of your compostable material and then backfill the rest of the trench with your soil. Once you've covered those holes or those trenches back up, you basically are automatically enriching the soil for the plants that you're planting nearby. Okay, well, the obvious pros to this is it is very passive and very simple. It's kind of that set it and forget it concept. There is no cost involved and you are composting in place where you need it. The con to this is that you need to add all the materials at once. So you kind of have to have someplace else where you're staging these composting materials unless you're digging a lot of little small holes, which isn't really going to be quite as effective. The other con to this is that animals can find this and dig it up if you're not burying it deeply enough. And then how much space do you have for doing this before you start to run out of places to dig uh, before this stuff is composted down. You know, yes, it's very passive and you and you sort of cover it and walk away, but if you're composting a lot of material, you're going to start to run out of places to dig holes. So um, while it might be a good solution for somebody that has a lot of space to work with, this may not be the best option for if you have any kind of you know, larger amount of, of compostable material and not a huge amount of garden space. Uh, the next option would be compost bags. Now, these are going to provide you a little bit more structure than any of the options we've talked about thus far, but they're, most of them are pretty small. Um, the pros to these is they're very easy to use. Once again, they are passive. They're, you're not doing anything to them. There is no turning or anything involved. Um, and these bags are solid on the side, so you are blocking the sight of the compost from anybody that's looking. So if you have an HOA or you have neighbors that tend to complain about these things or you just don't like the sight of a compost pile, these are a little bit better of an option. They are a bag. They are solid on the sides, so you're not looking at the waste that's in there. And it does block any of the vermin or the pests unless they are something that can really tear through these bags, which they're generally made of a polypropylene. So um, in most instances, unless you've got something that's really determined to get in there, um, they would have to be tipping it open and kind of really tearing at it to get into it. So those are the pros of that. The cons, though, are these bags are not super effective at actually composting. To me, they're more like fermenting. There's no airflow going through there, um, and you're not turning it unless you are dumping it out and then kind of putting it all back into the bag again. So, and I don't know too many people that are doing that. Um, and it does use polypropylene, so it's more plastic that we're using, but it's the kind that will likely break down after a few years, and those kind of pieces will, may end up, you know, in the garden, and it's just going to end up in a landfill. So, um, unless you can find a, a very long-lasting option, eventually it is going to break down and give you those microplastics. You do have some options with these. They have very small bags that look like those grow bags that they use for potatoes. They've got like this flap at the bottom. Um, so opening at the top that you can completely close. And then the concept is that as it breaks down, you can open the flap at the bottom and pull the compost out. 
the problem is, is these things only hold about 15 gallons or so. Um, so again, it's not really composting. It's more sort of fermenting it, which it's cooking it in some way. So it's breaking it down. Um, and those ones are kind of good for small spaces or somebody who has a really low volume of compostable stuff. Uh, because again, there is no airflow around the outside of that mass. So it's not going to break down as quickly. Uh, they're also, they're very cheap. They're 12 bucks a piece as, as far as I can tell. So, um, a good option for just sort of getting started, especially if you are like on a balcony, if you are you know, living in an apartment, um, or a townhouse where you don't have a backyard, but you still want to do some composting, this isn't a bad option for putting on a patio or um, on a deck or a balcony. They do have larger versions of these. They have open tops and handles, and they have these sort of metal hoops that go around the outside to hold the shape. But those ones don't have that flap at the bottom, so it's kind of like a, a thin bag um, that's the size of maybe a garbage can, a little bit more squat. These hold much more. These can hold as much as 130 gallons or so, and they are still very cheap at about 12 to 15 bucks a piece. So if you're looking for a very low-cost option that has a little bit more structure to it and maybe can be contained in a small area, then maybe these composting bags is the first type of a thing that you may want to try. If you've listened to this podcast for any length of time or seen my posts on Instagram, you know my husband and I are both former military and that we have a serious coffee habit. We also like to support other veteran-owned businesses, so Black Rifle Coffee is our coffee of choice. Not only do they have great coffee and merch, but they give back to military and first responders with every purchase. If you'd like to support this podcast and another veteran-owned business while also supporting your own coffee habit, head to JustGrowSomethingPodcast.com slash coffee to save 20% when you join the Black Rifle Coffee Club. Give them a try with no commitment you can cancel at any time. That's JustGrowSomethingPodcast.com slash coffee for 20% off your coffee club subscription. So now your next option is a collapsible bin. Um, these are portable containers that can be taken apart and moved around. They have more structure than the wire garden fencing that comes on a roll. Uh, they're pre-made structures that have a tendency to be a bit more sturdy and you lock them together. The pros to these is it makes composting really easy to start. You just buy the components and sort of put it together. They're really easy to uh, give you access to turn the pile because you can take them apart fairly easily. And, you know, basically the same amount of effort as the managed pile. You're opening it up, you're kind of pushing it all out, turning it over, and then shoving it back in again. It may be considered a little bit more contained and a little bit less unsightly than the managed pile that we talked about, um, but it's still going to be very open air. You're going to see the... Uh, uh, you're going to see the contents, essentially. The cons to this is it's still going to be slow to break down if it's not taken apart and turned. And because it is more prefabricated, um, it's going to cost a little bit more to purchase. So a couple of your options include these wire cages that can be collapsed or lifted and moved. They are generally powder-coated steel wire. Um, the systems that I've seen will hold about 100 gallons of material or so. They're very sturdy. They are these large panels that you lock together, and then the panels consist of fairly large squares, which are going to allow for lots of air around the outside of the mass. But again, it also means that you see everything that's in the inside of those panels, similar to the garden wire that Stan uses. 
for these types of things, you're looking at maybe $50 and up for each cage that you want to purchase. Um, there is another option. There are these perforated sheets of stiff plastic that lock together to form a bin of sorts. It's more rounded than square. Uh, these are bigger. They hold about 200 gallons, and they are pretty easy to link together and to pull apart. They are perforated, so there's lots of small holes for airflow, but it's also blocking the view of the mass inside, much more so than the wire ones. And it's a little bit less expensive. The ones I've seen are about $38 and up. With both of these options, you can sort of link multiple bins together to form a three-bin system. So if you haven't seen a three-bin system, this is another really good way to do your composting without having to actively turn the bin as frequently. You can link multiple bins together, add all of your newest waste to the first bin. Once that bin is full, then you start adding your newest waste to the second bin over. In the meantime, you turn that first bin once, maybe twice. You manage it for heat. You manage it for its moisture while you're still adding new stuff to the second bin. And then you do the same thing with the third bin. So the idea is that first bin will continue to compost down and it will be ready to use while the other two bins are still being worked on. So you sort of have this constant rotation going where you're not running out of places to put your new materials and you're not adding new materials to a bin that is already actively composting. So these collapsible bins are really good for this because you can have one set up and then when that one full is full you can set the next one up next to it and then the third one and they're easy to take down and move around if you need to 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 take advantage of that. It's really good you know to have multiple bins if you have a lot of waste that you can add to your compost pile. Now your next option is permanent bins and you can do the three bin system with these permanent bins. You, these are either going to be homemade or you can buy the prefabricated versions of them. These aren't nearly as easily taken apart and moved. They can be made of welded wire, they can be made of a really rugged plastic, you can make them out of wood. Uh, a common one that I have seen is finding shipping pallets, wooden shipping pallets, and creating three bin systems out of this or even just one bin depending on the volume. I mean, all you need really is three solid sides that aren't going anywhere, and then a, and then the front that can be removed for turning. Um, and a lot of the times, you can make them, or they are prefabricated to be taken apart or put together in pieces, so that as the volume of the bin increases, you can add more slats. The pros for this type of a system is it definitely allows for a larger amount of compost by volume because they are so much more rigid and you can still hook them together to create a three bin system. You can still have a passive system if that's what you want to do where you're just adding the stuff and then you let it sit and you move on to the next one. Or, like I said, you can pull that front off and be able to turn those bins pretty frequently if you need to. Some of the systems are self-contained, where you've got three chambers that mix and aerate as they move from chamber to chamber. This is those prefab ones that I talked about. And a lot of these can be much more visually appealing than some of the other systems because you can decorate them or you can hide them, make them blend into the backgrounds. 
um, and you're not really seeing as much of the ingredients that are going into that compost pile. But the cons to this is generally these permanent bins are going to be more expensive, but that's going to depend on the option. If you're finding free pallets or you're getting them for six or ten bucks a piece, okay, it's not going to be as expensive, but those prefab ones can start to get pretty pricey. Um, you're looking at as cheap as $80 on up to $350, depending on the system that you choose. And then, of course, they are generally meant to be permanent. They're not as easily moved as some of the other systems that we've already talked about. So if you have a space where, hey, this is it, this is where the compost is going, then this might be an option that you choose. Now, another option is the rotating bins. These are those large canisters that you've seen. They're kind of set on their side, they're on legs, and they have a crank handle for turning. The pros to these systems is that it makes turning compost just as easy as cranking a handle and you're done. And they're pretty attractive. Um, you can put them in pretty much any location. They have small ones that are made for balconies. They have larger ones that are made for backyards. They have multiple bin ones that are used for, um, again, having a multi-bin system. One that's actively composting and one that's being added to. These bins tend to speed up the process over having a passive system, and they can also reduce odors, and obviously they reduce the pest issue because they are much more difficult to get into. The cons, however, is that these things can be kind of pricey. They'll start at about 80 bucks. You can pay as much as $400 for one of these systems. And then there's also what Stan said. Um, you need to give it some attention to keep it at the right moisture level for it to be actively composting. To be truly effective, these rotating bins technically need to have all of the ingredients added all at once, not slowly over time. They're intended to be filled to their capacity and then sort of start the cooking process, and then you, you turn it as needed at that point. Um, but if you're passively composting now anyway, it's not really a huge issue to do it this way. The only problem is if, if you need to be adding them all at once and you're going to have to sort of have a containment system to collect all of your stuff first and then add it to the bin. So it can be a little bit tricky depending on whether you're already composting um, or if this is your first time, you're just now starting. It may not be the ideal way to go because you're not technically supposed to be just tossing stuff into it um, on a daily basis. Can you do it that way? Absolutely. It's just not going to be as effective. So if you use it as a holding bin and then don't start working with it until it's full, it's going to take a little bit longer. And like Stan said, it's going to need some attention to keep it at the right moisture level to begin the active composting process. But still, again, a really good way to go um, if you're looking for a very neat, compact system that is easy to use because they are certainly easier for turning um, than using a pitchfork or a shovel or something like that. So then another option is an in-ground or an in-bed compost bin. You can either get a prefab model, um, subpod is one that I've seen, although it really that really is more of a vermicomposting system. Um, but there are other ones that look sort of like, uh, like plastic laundry baskets almost that get dug down and put into the ground partway or into your garden bed partway. Um, you can also make a homemade version, like a garbage can or a tote with perforations. 
um, or wire mesh that's dug down into the soil or your raised bed. Uh, on the homemade systems, you don't put a bottom on them. It makes it easy to remove the whole system and then just sort of leave the compost in place. The pros to this is it's kind of more out of the way than uh, a system that sits sort of up on top and, and outside of the garden. This is going to be in the garden or it's going to be in the ground somewhere. Any liquid that leaches out is leaching out into the surrounding soil, so it's adding something while it's sitting there. It can be more easily covered than some of these systems, so you can deter pests, you can keep raccoons out of it. These can be super cheap if you're making them homemade. I mean, if you take a garbage can and you just drill a bunch of holes in the side and then you dig it down into the dirt and sort of cover it up halfway, that's it, you're done. You're not, you're not spending a whole lot of money on that. Um, and you can put these in a garden bed right where it's gonna be used. So if your compost is gonna end up in your raised bed, you can put one of these things right smack dab in the center of it and compost in the center of it and let the stuff leach out. And then once it's all composted, you remove the whole thing, you leave the compost in place, and you're done. The cons to this is, unless you're vermicomposting, it needs to be turned or it ends up being a very, very passive system, which means it could be kind of stinking the place up if it's not getting turned. Um, or it may not be composting at all or very, very slowly, in which case you have this sitting in the middle of your garden bed and it's not really doing anything. Now, if it's in the ground in a corner somewhere, again, that's no harm, no foul. But, you know, these may not be very easy to move to other beds when it's ready and needed. It may not also be very easy to move the compost. So it just sort of depends on what you're doing or what you're planning to do in your garden and with your compost. And then finally, we talk about vermicomposting. I mentioned this when I talked about the Subpod um, brand, which is that in-ground version of this. Vermicomposting is a combination of earthworm digestion and aerobic composition. So essentially you are using the worms to create your compost. Um, Stan talked about this, um, and this is one of the pros. It can be do, done anywhere. In, in my interview with him, he was sitting in his basement office, and we were having our conversation, and he picked up these bins of worm compost, and they were actively composting in his basement. There was no odor. Uh, there was no mess. They were just in these bins. You know, vermicomposting doesn't require turning. The worms are doing all the work for you, and you can totally make your own system following sets of basic basic instructions, um, or you can purchase prefabricated vermicomposting kits or this sort of combination kit like the Subpod where it's a, a in-ground composter that is also a vermicomposter. There are all kinds of options for vermicomposting. The cause to this is that they do need some attention. I mean, we're talking about living creatures here. These are worms. They're alive. Um, you have to purchase the worms. Um, so they do need some management. You have to make sure that there's the right moisture level in there and that they have something to eat at all times. Worms will also stop feeding when the bins are open. They like that dark. So, you know, you may need to be doing some collection ahead of time before you add your stuff to the worm bin. Um, and it does take care 
to actually harvest the compost. There's a bunch of different methods for doing this, but you have to find a way to be able to separate the worms from the finished compost so that you can use the finished compost and then get the worms back into the bin where they can continue doing their, their digesting for you with the next round of ingredients that you're adding. So there is a little bit more work that goes into the vermicomposting, but again, you can really do it just about anywhere and it really is a good option if you don't have a place to have an actual outdoor compost pile or if you want to do it um, on a patio or in a basement. So uh, vermicomposting is another viable option for a compost system. So which one do you choose? Um, you know, honestly, all of these systems are going to work in one way or another. What it really comes down to is what works best with your lifestyle and your gardening style. So how often are you cooking? How many scraps do you have? How much stuff do you have to compost to begin with? And then how much of that can you use? How much of it is going into your garden? Are you going to have to find some place to get rid of it once it's actually composted? Um, you know, do you have a very, very large garden where you can use multiple bins and you can do the sort of in-ground or in-bed version? Or do you have a smaller garden and you need every gardening inch that you can get and is maybe something that's off in a corner somewhere going to be a better option for you? Um, how do you collect your scraps? You know, for us, we have a little bin that is in the kitchen. It's right next to the sink. And I've just sort of made my habit um, whenever I load the dishwasher and am done with it for the night and I'm, and I'm getting ready to run the dishwasher, instantly I think, oh, I have to empty the compost bucket. So we have a small pail that's in the kitchen that collects our scraps. And then that goes out to a larger pail that is off the front porch because my compost pile is not near the house, it's further away. So it's convenient for me to be able to move it from the kitchen to the outside on the front stairs. And then once that's full, then I make an active effort to go and take that out to the compost pile. So that works for me. But how do you collect your scraps? Are you going to have your compost pile very close to your house or right outside your kitchen door or out your back porch to where you can walk outside and just toss things into it right away? Um, my mom has always just collected her kitchen scraps in a bag in her freezer. And then once that bag is full, then she takes it out. So she's not even dealing with something that's sitting on a counter. So think about how you're going to collect and move your scraps and things out to the compost. And that might help you decide. And then think about what is going to work best for you to be consistent with it? And I think that was the biggest problem for me is you know, I wasn't always very consistent. You're like, yeah, I had that, that pile in the back corner, but then I had to walk all the way out there to toss stuff into it. And I didn't have, you know, the indoor bin at the time. This was years and years ago. I had, you know, all kinds of kids running around, all kinds of stuff going on. And, you know, sometimes stuff made it to the compost pile and sometimes it didn't. Um, that system that I have now has evolved over many, many, many years to, to get to the point where it is consistent for me to do it in the same way every time. You have to find what's going to work for you. And so find the system that seems like it's going to be easy for you to follow through. And not just you, but also your other family members. 
You know, can you have a bin that's right there by the sink that very clearly is the compost bin and teach everybody in the household, hey, this is what goes in the bin and this is what doesn't. Uh, so it's not creating more work for you as the gardener to be composting. Get the whole family involved and figure out a system that's going to work. And that hopefully will help inform you as to which system is going to be the best. So what am I going to recommend to my mom? More than likely, I'm going to try to find her a couple of options for a very small bin or even one of those bags. Like I said, she collects food waste in her freezer and then she dumps it all at once. Um, but she doesn't go through enough to really be able to fully utilize one of those tumblers. And she's a single person living by herself now. Um, so yeah, the volume really isn't there. So, and she also needs something that's going to be easy to move with the seasons to be sure that it's getting warmth because her backyard, half of it gets sun. The other half is always in the shade. Um, and at certain times, certain corners get more sun and more warmth than others. So it needs to be something that can move, but also small enough to be out of the way and not an eyesore in her very small, but very tidy backyard. So the same considerations that I'm giving for my mom's system, you should take into consideration for yours. That's it on compost systems. If you have any questions at all, I am happy to help you find a system that works for you and your situation. We are moving into full swing with the gardening season. So any questions on any topic, I'm super happy to answer. In fact, Jillian just reached out to me on Instagram last week and she asked about using jute coffee bags in the garden since she's a coffee roaster and we talked boatloads of options for her. This of course was after I got over being jealous of her having that unlimited resource for her garden. So I am super happy to talk all things gardening with you too. So you can email me at grow at justgrowsomethingpodcast.com. Um, you can go to the website, justgrowsomethingpodcast.com. There's a website form submission um, there. You can reach out to me on Instagram, on our Facebook page. You can jump in our Facebook gardening group, all the places. I'm super happy to answer all of the questions. So um, until next week, keep on cultivating that dream garden and I will talk to you again soon. You just finished another episode of the Just Grow Something podcast. For more information about today's topic, head on over to justgrowsomethingpodcast.com for all the episodes, show notes, blog posts, discount codes, and more. Don't forget to sign up for the newsletter while you're there. You can also head to Facebook and join a community of other gardeners asking questions and sharing their experiences in the Just Grow Something Gardening Friends Facebook group. And if you want to support this show even further, head to patreon.com slash justgrowsomething to find out how. Until next time, my gardening friends, keep learning, keep growing, and we'll talk again soon.